<laughs> Woo! Yeah! <laughs> Woo! The great glory of our God. I mean, it's just, it's just one of those things you have to experience. I can't explain it. I just can't explain it. I can't put it into words. But yet the Word of God talks about it all the time, from cover to cover. The glory of God. How awesome it is. How marvelous it is. Whew. In fact, when Isaiah, when Isaiah is taken into the very throne room of God, and he's not the only one. I love it when you see all these people, uh, you know, are taken into the throne room, and they all record the same scene of what's happening, you know. Even with John, you know, and the New Testament's taken in. But when Isaiah is taken in the throne room, he sees that there are these seraphim flying above the Lord. And they're crying out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Woo! Yeah! That means there's not a single day that we have ever lived where we didn't get to experience the glory of the Lord. I mean, just everywhere. That means we can only imagine the pits of hell. The only place where his glory is not experienced. We get to experience the glory of God every day. The whole earth is full of it. I mean, everything glorifies God. Everything he created shows his fingerprint, his glory, his majesty, his power and authority over all things, right? It all just screams it. Um, and in fact, Solomon said in, uh, in Ecclesiastes that wisdom is shouting from the streets. I mean, God's voice is everywhere, shouting, screaming. It's, it's everywhere. And everything glorifies the Lord. But what is glory? What is glory? It's a bit of an abstract term, right? It's kind of like beauty. I can't define beauty, but I'm, I know when something's beautiful. And I know when something's ugly, right? <laughs> But it's hard to describe. It's hard to define. And it's a little different for each of us too, right? You know, what I think's beautiful, I mean, Doug's beautiful beard, you know? My, my wife might cringe at it. I'm trying, but you know. <laughs> Sorry, Ben, you, you, you've been outdone this morning and Doug's back, so you, you gotta step up your game, man. Step up the game. the glory of God. Like, it's just so hard to explain, but you know when you've experienced it. You know when you're in the glory of God, and, and you know when you show up to church and just, you kind of go through the motions, and you had a good service, but we have just a service, you know. There's a difference when the glory of God shows up, and just lost in it. It's just amazing. Whew. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. So glory, it carries this idea of something that's exalted, that's something that's worthy to be praised. You know, it's, it's, it's glory, right? The glory. Um, th there's a popular movie back in the day that, uh, that, that I just, it just kept coming to mind, so I'm going to share it because that's me. Um, it's about a humble Catholic friar named Ignacio. Anybody ever see this? Very inspirational film. I actually encourage everyone to watch this, this film about faith and living out your purposes, right? He was often overlooked. He was oppressed in service to the Lord. He just kind of annoyed everybody, but he was there and they had to accept him, you know? He had dreams of becoming a luchador, professional wrestler in lucha libre, right? 
His, his name is Nacho Libre, for those who don't know. He just wanted a little taste of the glory. He just wanted to see what it tasted like, right? You, you remember this scene? Oh, we're muted. Beth, unmute the computer. We got to have some sound here. We ready? Don't you see? Your skills plus my skills in the ring. Tag team. Oh, you're crazy. Aren't you tired of getting dirt kicked in your face? I am. Don't you want a little taste of the glory? See what it tastes like. <laughs> right? Aren't you guys a little tired of the world kicking dust in your face? Aren't you tired of it? Like, it just seems like every time you take one step forward, the world just figures out a way to kick dust in your face and push you two, three steps back, right? That's not supposed to be life in the Lord. We've got power and authority. We got glory, right, that helps us to rise up. We got more than just a taste of the glory of God, right, that enables us to rise above those things. And, you know, there's a glory that, that we receive whenever we overcome all of our obstacles, when we defeat them and we rise up in victory, right? It, it, it tastes pretty good, too, right? Anybody ever finally overcome something in life that you struggle with forever and it just feels so good, right? That's glory, that sense of rising above, right? That, that's glory, that's what it is. Um, and, um, and it can be experienced with our, our senses, it can be tangible, right? However, there's no earthly glory that can even begin to compare with the glory of God, with the glory of the Lord. It's so magnificent, it's so far beyond any earthly glory that we have tasted and seen, right? Just so far above it. It can be experienced with all of our senses. It, can, it just manifests itself. And, and encounters come to mind like, like this one. We, we read it every uh, Christmas time in almost every church, right? You know, the angels come forward to announce, or I'm sorry, the angels come to the shepherds to announce the birth of Jesus. And it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. I, I've never really experienced delight that terrified me, you know? Unless you're out doing something a little shady in the woods and you think it's a, a cop light, you know. You know how the shepherds were feeling, okay? You know, that, like, you know? Some of y'all are laughing a little too hard about that. I want to hear some stories here, you know. Who needed social media back in the day, right? No, no one you got, anyways, yeah, we're not going to, we won't talk about those, uh, those glory days, right? Isn't that what we call them? Those glory days. <laughs> Ain't nothing compared to the glory of the Lord. But the shepherds could see and they could feel the glory of the Lord. They saw it shining and it caused them to be afraid. And Ezekiel chapters 10 and 43, he was another one, like Isaiah, who was taken by the Spirit of the Lord into the temple of the Lord. And he saw the glory. He literally saw the glory of the Lord coming from the east. And it traveled through the east gate, went into the temple, and then it just filled the whole temple. He also saw the glory of the Lord above the cherubim rise, move to the threshold of the temple, and then filled all three. He's like... I can't imagine a glory that I can see, a glory that moves, like it's this tangible object. Isn't that just crazy to think about? I mean, the glory of the Lord is abstract, and yet these men who are taken into the presence of God, they, they tangibly saw it. We're going to talk about that. It happened all over, over and over and over again in the scriptures. Isaiah, he prophesied about John the Baptist coming to prepare the way for Jesus. And he said about Jesus this, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 5, that the glory of the Lord will be revealed. How can something like tangible, not tangible, be revealed? But it is. And all the people will see it together. 
for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. They would all see together the glory of the Lord. They would all experience it. It would be revealed to them. Here's another example. The first earthly temple was finished. The first church building, you know, that housed the presence of God. Um, Praise God the church isn't a building anymore, is it? Because we're the temples of the Holy Spirit. So keep that in mind, that we are now the temple of God when we read about the earthly temple that was filled with the presence of God. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1-3 through 3 says this, When Solomon finished praying, good old church service, you got to start in prayer, right? You know, thanking God for everything that he's done. He's praying, and all of a sudden, fire comes down from heaven. Remember that happened on the day of Pentecost too? Tongues of fire, you know, <laughs> the glory showed up. And it consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifice, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priest couldn't enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. Can you picture that? They couldn't enter. It's like, what's going on here? Hey, Bob, you, you put this, this door together, right? You, you made sure it was square, right? Because this thing ain't opening, you know? <laughs> like, I just picture this kind of thing in my imagination. But anyways, like the glory of the Lord filled it. They couldn't even enter. I can't imagine a glory that is so tangible that it fills a room so much so people can't even enter into it. And then it says, when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces in the dirt and they worshipped and they gave thanks to the Lord. We don't need no church building, do we? They couldn't enter in because the glory was there, so they just hit the pavement And they're just worshiping and praising face down. They're saying, he is good. And his love endures forever. Yes. And this isn't the first time that this happened either. We go back to chapter 5. Earlier, whenever they just brought the Ark of the Covenant in, before the whole dedication and everything, when the very presence of God is carried in the temple, this happened. 2 Chronicles 5, verse 13 to 14. The glory of the Lord came in the form of a cloud. Many, many times in the scriptures, and this is another time that it happened, it said that the trumpeteers and the musicians joined in unison. Remember, that was the word that God had for our worship team. Doesn't matter how we're worshiping or what we're worshiping with, what instruments we have, what voices we have, as long as we are coming together in one voice. We all bring whatever we got and, and, you know, let God take care of the rest. When we come together in unison, and that was what was happening here at the temple, Trumpeteers, musicians, they're in unison giving praise, giving thanks to the Lord. They're, they're then accompanied by trumpets and cymbals and other instruments. And the singers raise their voices in praise to the Lord. So if you ever wonder why we do this thing, this ain't just for fun. This ain't just to show. It's just because it's what, what, we're, what we're called to do, right? We lift Jesus with the praise with instruments and voices whatever else we, we got to give to God. And whenever they were lifting the name of the Lord high, It says the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud. And the priests, they couldn't perform their service because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the temple. (laughs) So so when the glory of the Lord shows up, and we just stop the service and just have fun in it? This ain't new, new Pentecostal experience. I mean, this is old school stuff, right? No school like the old school. When the glory of the Lord showed up, they, they couldn't even perform their service. They, they, just, they just loved, they just having fun in the cloud of the glory of the Lord. I, I don't know what it was like. 
You know, I, I've been, my mom used to always tell me not to frolic. You know, I, I pictured him just frolicking in the cloud, like, woof, it's so fluffy. This is so awesome. Like, I, just, I don't think they were very dignified, okay? <laughs> so break off that spirit of religion that you got when you read the Old Testament. Tear that veil off. Come on. When the cloud showed up. People criticize like Bethel Church because the cloud showed up. Well, you can't control it. If the Lord chooses to show up that way, he shows up that way. Whatever, it happens, you know. However, the Lord decides to show up in his glory. And in this instance, he decided to show up in a cloud. Like, it's just amazing. They couldn't even perform their service. The glory just filled the temple. And there are so many various manifestations of God's presence and God's glory. It's not just some kind of you know, new experience that we made up or something. It's just something that happens. The glory of God came in the, the form of a cloud many times, many, many times. I'm not going to read them all for time's sake, but, but what comes to mind is on Mount Sinai, whenever Moses entered in, right? The invitation was open to all of God's people, all of Israel, to enter into the glory cloud of the Lord. But they were afraid, like the shepherds. They stayed at a distance, right? Man, did they miss out. Moses had to have some fun up there on that mountain, right? He got to enter in. Whew. That invitation is still open to you and I. Don't let your fear of what people are going to think of you stop you from entering into the glory of the Lord. Don't worry about what happens. Just, just go with it. Just go with whatever it is that the Lord is doing. Because it's good. <laughs> might be strange and flaky to you. You may not understand what the Spirit's doing, but just go with it. It's good, right? Don't be a spiritual flake for the sake of looking flaky, but if God is moving, don't stop it. Don't quench the Spirit of God. Let the Spirit of God just move and do His thing. Another time that we're very familiar with is the pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, right? I love pillar of fire. It's pillar, right? Pillar, anyone... Yeah. Nikki knows what I'm talking about pillar and stuff too. Anyways, yes, that, that's what that that's what that band name came from. The wind that filled the the upper room. I mean, the, it just it's again the spirit of God showing up, and and you know somehow we we turn that into a, a, a religious thing. You know that pillar of cloud by day, pillar uh, or yeah, pillar of fire by night that would lead and guide them. That was the presence of God, the glory of the Lord. He was leading them. When he would rest, they would rest. When he would move, they would move. Hello, New Testament. You know, they kept in step with the Spirit. So we ought to. Right? When the Spirit moves, we just move with him. We cooperate with him. He's not going to force you. You've got to do something. You want to pray in the Spirit and speak in tongues? Open your mouth and let him give you utterance. He's not going to grab a hold of your tongue and make it happen. He's not a tyrant. This isn't Vladimir Putin we're talking about. He's not going to force you to do something you don't want to do, okay? This is the Spirit of the Lord. He wants to dance with you. He wants to cooperate with you. He wants to lead you, but you've got to follow. You've got to move. Right? Remember that song when he says, move to the left, we're going to move to the left, we move to the right, we're going to move to the right. Like, you've got you to walk in the Spirit. Keep in step with Him and watch what He can do. Um, even at the transfiguration, one of my favorite moments in, in the Bible, that it, literally, if you, if you read um, in, in the book of, uh, I believe it's John, I, I don't remember, I'm sorry, but when the, the transfiguration took place, Peter, James, and John, they walked into the glory cloud. Literally, that's what it was, a glory cloud. Read the, that's exactly what it's described as. And when they walked in, they're like, oh, 
What's up, Moses, Elijah? Should, should, we, should we make tents for them? Like, should we set up camp here? Like, I can't imagine what that would be like. They just instantly knew who they were and recognized them. And, and then what I love even more is when you read through the Old Testament... When Moses was on that mountain, when Elijah was on that mountain, and then you've got this time traveler, Lord of Lords, you know, Jesus shows up on that mountain, and it's all happening like at the same time, but yet at different times, and it's just like, then you start to see that, that just the, the, the character of God, the nature of him, he's, he's eternal, you know, just awesome, awesome to think about, that we get to enter in, we get to have that same experience, that same encounter, um, there's so many other times, um, the glory cloud of the Lord. So often it showed up that way, but, but not always. It showed up in other manifestations as well. When the weighty presence of God in the spiritual meets the natural, just something's going to happen. Something's going to give. And for some reason, you can walk into any church, and if someone is sobbing and crying in the presence of God, we look at them and we're like, oh man, God's doing something. That is so good. That is so beautiful. He's making them cry. God, you serve. You know when I see he's also good? When someone's laughing uncontrollably and just can't contain themselves anymore, you know, right? How is that not also evidence that God's doing something in their life? How about when they just fall flat down on the, oh, that, that's, that's not good. That doesn't happen in the Bible, right? We just read about it in the Old Testament. They fell flat faced on the dirt and it just, whatever. Whatever the Spirit chooses to do. You don't get to pick and choose. If he's Lord, then it ain't always going to be your way and your will, right? If you choose to submit to him, when the spiritual meets the physical, something happens. When God speaks, look around. Look what happened just because God spoke. When he speaks into your life, something's going to change too. Something's going to happen. And sometimes there are physical manifestations, because I don't know what else to call them. I know it's a very Pentecostal-sounding word, but it's just what happened all through the Scriptures. I mean, come on, Elisha was such a, a no, it was Elisha, was such an anointed man of God. He died of a sickness, even though he raised the dead, healed the sick. I can't make any sense of that, but whatever. But even in his deathbed, his dry bones laying in the grave for hundreds of years, when that grave, dead grave robber was thrown into his grave, as soon as that dead body hit the anointing of the Lord that was still in those bones of Elisha, he bounced right back to life. Can you imagine that? These people were doing nothing spiritually good. They had a dead corpse with them, and they needed to ditch the thing. I mean, come on here. This is not a church meeting. They panic. we got to get rid of this thing. So they throw it into a grave. Can you, <laughs> Can you imagine when the guy walks out? <laughs> I mean, this happened. <laughs> oh, wow. The glory of the Lord. I mean, I can't put it into words, but look what it does. Amazing things. And so, this is the conviction that I have. When glory, when God's anointing, when God's presence does stuff like that, why do I put so much pressure on myself? Why do I always beat myself up so bad when I mess up, thinking God can't use me anymore? You know, he's going to take this away from me. So that's not the God that we see throughout the New Testament. 
God wants to pour out his glory into your life. You're never too far gone. You've never screwed up too much. He can heal and restore and deliver. He actually wants to have some fun in your life. He actually wants you to live an abundant life, a full life. And man, does the glory of the Lord bring some fun. We have some fun in the glory. So when people are sobbing, we say that's holy. They're having a moment with the Lord. But man, when they're shouting or laughing or dancing or jumping around, whatever physical thing we may do to respond, there are times when I have tasted the glory of God so much, I just, I just want to explode. Like, there was nothing I could physically do with my body to express how I was feeling. And so I'm awkward. I'm nerdy. My body's doing all kinds of weird things. I'm a white boy who can't dance, but I'm dancing, and I'm just, it's just like, I just want to express it. I want to express this joy that is within me, that the Spirit is here, that He's doing something in me. I don't even know what He's doing, but it's fun. I just, if you've never encountered that, oh, ask Him for it, and let Him do it. That's the tripping point. Let Him do it. Let Him raise you to life. Let Him give you an inexpressible joy because that's what the Bible calls it. Let Him give these things to you. Here's the thing that I love. Life doesn't have to be going good to experience the glory of God. You can be laughing and you just lost your loved one that morning and it makes no sense. And it's not that you're not in a season of mourning and grief, but it's that he's turning. We we quote it in the Bible, we sing about it, but when it happens, we're like, oh, how rude. That is so wrong. How can she be laughing right now? Her spouse just died. But the Bible says he's going to turn your mourning to dancing. He's going to transform your your gloom to joy. So why do we get offended when God does what he says he's going to do? Why do we get offended at that? I don't know. I get offended at it. I've been in some church conferences, and I'm like, that woman just needs to just, just take it down a few notches. Like, it's just so annoying, and it's getting on my nerves, and I'm trying to focus on what he's saying here, and she's running around. I was, <laughs> I was with Dell at this conference, and Bill Johnson was preaching, and this woman is running around the church, shouting and jumping, and finally he's like, okay, what, what is happening? Like, you're having your own little party here, and like, you know, it, it seemed like a distraction to everybody. I could see people looking at each other, and they're like, this woman just wants attention, you know? And then she shares her testimony. She had this, like, crushed ankle and all these, like, you know, um, braces and metal and everything, and it was fused together, you know? So she was basically, like, uh, hopping along. She couldn't bend her ankle. The Lord just, she didn't receive prayer. No one laid hands on her. The glory of the Lord was just so in that place that she was healed. That's why she was running and jumping. She couldn't physically do those things ever. (laughs) And so I understand why she was partying. She suffered for a lot of years, right? And then I was like, oh, Lord, you just did a miracle right in front of my eyes. And I was offended at it. And I was upset with it. And I was annoyed with it. Forgive me, you know. So... When you get offended by what God does in this place, I've been there, I understand how you're feeling, but just hand over your offense to the Lord and see, you know? Is it really somebody's trying to get attention for themselves? Because we don't want that going on. But if the Lord shows up, I can think of no greater sin than quenching the Spirit of God and stopping a move of what he's trying to do. 
because you're standing in God's way and saying, no, 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 that doesn't happen in this place. And you're putting your opinion and your will above the Lord's. And guess what? God honors your will. He always honors your will. He will stop. He will leave. He will go to a place that he is welcome. I want this to be a place where the Spirit of the Lord is welcome to move however he wants to move. I want to see the words of the Bible come to life here so that we all get to experience it. In fact, I firmly believe that God doesn't send anyone to hell in the end, right? He just honors your wishes. He honors your choice that you chose all through this life. He spent a lifetime reaching out to you, calling out to you, giving you chance after chance after chance to receive his free gift of salvation. But if you won't accept it, he's not going to force it on you. He'll just honor your wishes, honor your choice. God looks a little different. He looks like a loving God when he honors your choices, right? We say it a different way. God's not a rapist, right? He will not force his love on you. He won't force you to do anything. That's not love. Love requires a choice. And so, will we let the glory of God move in our lives? Even though it might be something that we're not comfortable with. Will we allow it to happen? We continue on here. Because this is the interesting thing. Here's the contrast. I've been at some championship games, right? Where we won by a few points in the very last few seconds of the game. And let me share a testimony. Bethany's not in here, right? Oh, yeah, she is. Never mind. I was at a championship over at this high school yesterday. They were undefeated all day long. We, we got there at 7. It's now 5 o'clock in the evening, you know. They win the game. Then they lose a game. So they got to play again, right? They are neck to neck, point to point, tied up the whole game. And then the, the, the very last game point, the ball comes to Beth. She's playing volleyball. And, and you want me to share what you did or do you want to reenact it? And she jumps to get it. And the ball hits the floor. And they lost. And I will remind her of that every day now. <laughs> but I've just as much seen so many. And here's, here's the analogy. And this is why I share it. So please forgive me. I didn't ask permission. Here's the analogy. That's what we're like in life. We think we're a loser. We're defeated. Do you know how many times that girl made amazing plays in every single other game all day long? Why do we beat ourselves up so much over one loss, right? The battle isn't lost. Get up, shake yourself off, whatever. You know, you've got more glory to enter into. We're going from glory to glory, right? But I've been in those cases when you're in a championship game and they win. And let me tell you, there ain't nobody, no mom, dad, grandpa, teacher, whoever else in the community is at those games. There ain't nobody just sitting there being like, well, that was an all right game. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head out now. No, everybody's on their feet. They're shouting. They're rejoicing. There's music going, you know. We are the champions. I mean, it's like, why can we do that there over winning a game? And we can't do that here in the church when our God has done so many, much greater things, right? Why is it socially acceptable there, but we've got to be good little holy church mice in church, you know? Why? The last time I read the Bible, there was only one quiet moment in heaven. There's only one time that there's silence in heaven. So if you like your 
quietness. I don't know. You might, I don't know. You might, you might not be in for this. Only one quiet moment. Like, whew. I'm not even going to tell you. You'll have to read your Bible to find it. Or Google it. it you'll find it. Anyways, encountering God's presence. Like, you see these things happen. All right, let me move on here uh, for time's sake. Is that we can experience the glory of God that lifts us up no matter what um, we have encountered, no matter where you're at. That was, that was, that's all right. I, I, I squirreled so badly here. Um, that's the awesome thing. No matter what you're going through, you can encounter the glory of God. He can lift you out of it. Um, we experience it here. Moses, this is where I'm going. Uh, Exodus chapter 33. Moses was having a pretty rough time. Moses was dealing with a lot of social injustices. So I, 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 kind of, I can be politically correct, right? We're going to talk about social injustices here. Come on, the people were in slavery. And the leader of the nation didn't care for them much. In fact, he's pretty afraid of him. So he put them into some pretty harsh labor. Pretty unfair to them, right? It was a tremendously impossible need. A nation of hundreds of thousands of people. <laughs> Where are you going to find food? If you remember, Krogi, they're walking away from Egypt where all the resources are. One of the greatest nations in the earth at that time. It's where all the resources are. And they're walking out into the desert. Now, I'm a hunter. I'm a fisher. You know, I've never done any of that out in the desert. I watched enough Star Wars episodes on Tatooine that the desert doesn't look like a good place for sustenance, does it? Not a lot of critters are running around out in those places, especially enough to feed hundreds of thousands of people. Tremendous need. It was impossible. Not to mention, he was dealing with some pretty difficult and challenging people. They were whiny. They were complaining. Oh, you just brought us out here to die, haven't you? All the time they whined and complained. He's dealing with all these things, all these impossibilities, all these life demands, all of these needs. And you know what he demanded before God in response to all these things? He's dealing with, he's so frustrated. And he goes to God, he's like, God, you told me to lead these people. You told me to do it. And here I am. I'm obeying you, Lord. You ever get that way in life? Here I am, Lord. I'm obeying you. And yet my life sucks. This is miserable. This is not what I signed up for. Right? Let's be honest and fair before God. That's what Moses did. Exodus chapter 33, verses 12 to 23. Lord, Moses said, Lord, you've been telling me to lead these people. I can just imagine I quoted that. Lead these people. You know, you've been telling me to do it. <laughs> but you have not let me know whom, will send, whom you will send with me. In other words, he's saying, this is too much for me. I can't do it on my own. I need help here. So who's going to help? You ever feel that way? I'm the only one in my house. Man, why is it? everyone else makes a mess, and I'm the one that's got to clean it up, right? Anybody ever feel that way in life? You know, you, know you, you come in after the night shift, and you're like, what'd they do all night? Why well, I got to do all this stuff? This is their job to do, you know? Anybody ever feel that way? Okay, uh, maybe just me. But anyways, Moses is feeling that way, and he said, you know what? You even said to me, <laughs> you know it's bad whenever you start quoting God to God. You, you've, you've, you're, you're pretty, you're at your end. You're frustrated. You're burned up, you know? And so he quotes God to himself again. And he tells God, in a quote, you said, I know you by name and that I have found favor with you. But if you're really pleased with me, then just teach me your ways. I, I want to know you. I want to continue to find favor with you. But remember, this nation, it's your people. <laughs> Ain't my people. They're your people, <laughs> right? So the Lord replied, my presence, capital P, himself, I'm going to go with you. My presence will go with you, and I'll give you rest. It seems like you're a little tweaked right now. 
a little stressed, I'll give you rest. <laughs> Did you ever hear a promise of God that you just stopped believing? You told yourself it so many times, you proclaimed it and declared it so many times, that honestly in your heart you just kind of stopped believing it? Let's be honest, you know. Moses has heard this before, I'll give you rest. So then Moses said to him, okay, but if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. Because how will anyone else know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? I love how he still makes that distinction. You're pleased with me and your people. <laughs> and unless you go with us, what else will distinguish us from all the other people on the face of the earth? The Lord says to Moses, I'll do the very thing you asked. I'm pleased with you, and I know you by name. He again gave him that same promise. Don't you love the nature of prophecy? God gave him that same word again. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but I've been frustrated in situations, and then someone gives me a prophetic word, and it's a word I already heard before that I've been declaring. It's like, okay, thank you for the confirmation, but when and how? Come on. And so Moses says this. To meet all this impossible need, to deal with all this stress, this is what Moses requests. Not a McDonald's to go with them, you know, to follow them up like a, like a, like a food wagon, you know. He, he doesn't request, you know, more requests. He doesn't request money. He doesn't request to just be, boom, plopped into the promised land. He says, now show me your glory. He knew he needed the glory of the Lord to fulfill this task that he was called to. And the Lord said, I'll cause all my goodness to pass at home. The Lord's pretty good. I can't imagine all of his goodness passing in front of him. He said, I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. But, he said, remember, buts are big in the Bible. But, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. The Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft on the rock. I'll cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Can you imagine a hand big enough to cover an entire body? I'm going to cover you, not cover your eyes. I'm going to cover you with my hand and I'm going to pass by. Then this is proclaimed later. Exodus chapter 34, very, very next chapter. Oh. Yeah, now show me your glory. Very next chapter, just reading a few verses ahead. It says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, because that's where they were having this exchange, with the two tablets of the covenant of law in his hands. Y'all remember what those are, right? Ten commandments. You've seen Charles Heston bring them down, right? Yep, this is what's, this is what they're reenacting. It says that he wasn't aware <laughs> that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. The Lord said, I will show you my glory. Can't see my face. And because he was in the glorious presence of the Lord, his own face. It's, it's like, as a kid, I love glow-in-the-dark stuff. You hold it up to the light, and then when you turn out the lights, like it still glows. That's what Moses was. He was a human glow-in-the-dark star, you know? He, he went into the presence of God, got filled with the glory. When he walked away, he didn't even know it, but he was glowing. He was literally physically glowing. He was beaming. And so it says, he wasn't aware his face is radiant. So when Aaron and all the other Israelites saw Moses and his radiant face, they were afraid to come near him. Whole New Testament thing, right? The shepherds were afraid to come near. They saw the glory of the Lord and they were afraid to come near him. Wow. 
It says, when Moses finished speaking to them, he then put a veil over his face. That, there's the original face mask in the Bible, right? And let me tell you, it wasn't a good thing back then. And that's all I'm going to say about that right here, right now. In verse 34, but whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he tore that veil off until he came out again. And when Moses would come out and tell the Israelites what he had been commanded, they would see that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord again. Now here's the really cool part about all this. Here's where it gets personal. Here's where it applies to us today. Because of the incredible opportunity before you and I this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And this is the entire message, so you can ignore everything else I set up to date. And This is the good stuff. Actually, there's good stuff and then there's better stuff. And I swear I'm closing. All right, so... 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4 through 18. Paul wrote and he said this. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. You should have some confidence to enter before the Lord. And this is why. It's not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. But because our competence comes from God. He has made us competent. As ministers of the new covenant. Not the letter, but the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And the letter he's talking about was those stone tablets, the covenant law that came down with Moses. So he says in verse 7, Now if the ministry that brought death, because that's what the law does, all that the law tells you is what you're doing wrong. It doesn't do anything to help you do it right. It just says you're wrong. Those speed limit signs, they don't help me with my heavy foot. You know, they just say I'm wrong for doing it. Right? Right? Cruise control helps me a lot. You guys need a tip with obeying the law that way. Anyways, I'm sorry. I'm gonna, I swear I'm going to stop squirreling. We need the glory to show back up. <laughs> so he said, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, if that came with glory, so that the Israelites couldn't even look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, it faded for those of you who don't know, Moses started wearing a veil so it wouldn't scare everybody. That face mask became a crutch. Because the longer he was outside of the presence of God, that glory would fade. Then he did it so people wouldn't know he didn't carry the glory of the Lord anymore, right? We got to tear those veils off, right? There's some freedom in this place this morning, and this is why. So if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory. Now, in comparison with the surpassing glory available to us, if it was transitory, if that's what came with glory, how much greater is the glory that is on us that lasts? Therefore, we have hope, and we are very bold. We're not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were dull. And to this very same day, the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. Remember, like I talked about earlier, you read it in most churches, and it's a very holy, proper, prim thing. Because the veil is still on our minds. But when the veil is removed and the Old Testament is read and you see what it really was, you see the truth of what it really was for what it was, man, is it different. And so he continues on. He says that if, if it has not been removed, it's only because Christ, the Lord, 
that the veil's taken away. So if the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now us, all of us, with our unveiled faces, will reflect the Lord's glory. And we are being transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. You are going, as the King James Version calls it, from glory to glory. When Moses would leave the presence of God, his glory would fade. We are filled with the Spirit of God. So the glory just increases. You get brighter and brighter and brighter. You're not like those glow stars that I played with when I was a kid that faded the longer they're out of the light. You're like a spotlight that gets brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. It's the power of the Spirit. <laughs> Woo! Goes in and through your life. That's what makes that flashlight brighter. More power, more power, right? Till that bulb blows. But guess what? Your bulb ain't never going to blow. You can contain all the power of God, the raw power of God. You can burn bright for Christ. We sing these religious songs. This little light of mine, right? Come on, do we understand what that means? The glory of God is your light. Nothing like it. We have hope. We are very bold because of the glory of God. And it's not because we're anything. It's not because I'm competent to do anything. <laughs> Believe you me, not competent to do much except for screw up. But when God shows up, all of a sudden you're competent to do anything. Nothing is impossible for you because it's God doing it through you. All right, one more thing. I got to go to this because I've been dying to go to this and God kept preventing me, but I just want to go to it because it's just fun and it seems to tie in with this. We got to stop trying to be like everybody else. We got to be, stop being like Moses and putting our veil on so that people ain't afraid of the glory of God. That's not why you've been filled with glory. What did Jesus say? Are you supposed to hide it under a bushel? Does he fill you with glory so you can hide it? And it's just a very private thing. No, he filled you with glory because the life of a follower of Christ is a very public display. Your sin's on display, but your glory's on display. Your weakness is on display, but the power of God is on display. You can't have one without the other. Just be who you are. Be free. And let the Spirit of the Lord bring freedom to you in that. Let him take you from glory to glory. Let him crucify the flesh and bring life through the Spirit. Let him do all these things. This is awesome. When we join together, when we seek after God, when we worship, we should boldly demand God, like Moses did, to encounter his glory in such a way that leaves us radically marked by it. Radically marked by it. We want the glory cloud to come in. Even if that means that we fall flat on our faces and do nothing else in that church service. We want it. We want the glory of God in our lives, not so that we look like we're the Lord's anointed special people, so that we can go out there and shine it bright so that people want it. The Bible says that they're going to ask you the reason for the hope within you. What gives you hope? We just read it. Why do we have hope? Why do we have confidence? Because of the glory of God that is ever increasing. We, we, we need to be like Nacho Libre. I want to taste the glory. I want to see what it tastes like. And when you get a taste, you're going to want more. <laughs> you're going to want more. And you're going to want more. Woo! Yes. All right. <laughs> I love it. I close with this. And God didn't want this to be part of the message, but I'm going to include it anyways because it's just so much fun. Ezekiel got a taste of the coming glory of what the new temple, the new covenant was going to be like. And this is what he said. 
So the, the Spirit of the Lord takes him. The Spirit's showing him all these things, if you go get mom. And, um, and the Spirit shows him this, that when, they, when the priests would enter the gates of the inner court, they had to wear these linen garments. They, they, they weren't allowed to have anything wool on them whenever they were ministering. They had to wear linen turbans on their heads. They had to wear linen undergarments around their waist. They weren't allowed to wear anything that would make them sweat. <laughs> and it wasn't for their comfort. Watch what happens here. In the new covenant. I love it. In your temple of the Lord. And I'm going to apply this. So you can argue with me theologically if you want. But I still think this is, this is us. They weren't allowed to sweat for this reason. In fact, it said that we talked about the Holy of Holies and all of that. That's where they were entering into. They were entering into the inner parts of the temple. And it says that before they were to go into the outer courts with all the plain folk, the, the, you know, the, the, the unholy people... It says that they have to take their clothes off that they were ministering in. They had to leave them in the holy chambers. They had to dress in different clothes. <laughs> I love this concept. And I looked in so many translations of the scriptures. And they all say the same idea. They weren't allowed to wear their church clothes outside of the inner courts. Because if they would, and if they sweated, and they carried that sweat outside of the inner courts, it says here in Ezekiel 44 that they would transmit holiness to the people who are outside. They would transmit holiness. They would infect people with holiness. That's how other translation says it. Now, if you want to know how bizarre this is, oh my goodness, read through the Old Testament. I mean, by punishment payable on death, P.O.D., right? Another good Payable on death, punishable on death. If you walk into the inner courts and you weren't consecrated, if you didn't go through all these regulations and sacrifices and offerings, if there was anything unholy about you, you would die in the presence of God. Punishable by death. If you approach the God in an unholy manner, stark, Direct warnings about the need for purification and cleansing and consecration so that nothing unholy comes in contact with what is holy. Because all through the Old Testament, if I take something that is unholy and I touch that spoon that is used for holy purposes of God, that spoon is now unholy. It is desecrated. It is no longer worthy to be used of the Lord. <laughs> we still carry that. <laughs> we still carry that religious mindset don't we? we got to break that religious spirit off. It's telling you lies. Here's what happens in the New Testament and in the New Covenant, in the New Temple. When something that is holy been set apart, as all of us have been, if you've put your faith in Jesus, received his salvation, when something holy and consecrated and sanctified comes in contact with the unholy, you, you transmit holiness to them. <laughs> they become holy. Even their sweat... Okay, here's the fun part, here's the fun part, here's the fun part. We say, okay, all right, argue with me theologically. This is the third temple. Say me, tell me this isn't true. Remember a guy named Paul? He was making tents. He was just working his day job. And people would take the aprons and the handkerchiefs that contained his sweat. And what would happen when they were given to people who were sick or demon-possessed? They were set free! Holiness was transmitted to them through his aprons and his handkerchiefs. Now, don't go paying a grand for somebody's hanky, okay? Don't, I'm, not, I'm not preaching that that's acceptable. 
Paul didn't make money off it. It just happened. It wasn't a model for ministry. It just happened. Flaky things happen when the spiritual come in contact with the unspiritual, right? You have been called not only to go from glory to glory, to carry the glory of God, to radiate it wherever you go. You are called. You are deputized and authorized to go out there and transmit some holiness to people. Right? You get to go into those outer courts, out with the common folk, as Jesus did. I'm telling you, when the Holy of Holies, Jesus Christ himself, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, when he went out to the lepers and he laid hands on them, did he get leprosy? No. But guess what happened to that leprosy? Gone in Jesus' name. Gone. He transmitted holiness. So if you're afraid of the coronavirus, you got something way more contagious living inside of you. Way more powerful. All right? It's time to get out there and transmit some stuff, right? Glory to God. Glory to God. Woo! All right, worship team, come up here. We got some praising to do. All right, so right now, I don't know how you felt about what I shared. All I shared was the word of God, so I don't care how you feel about it. It, it is what it is. <laughs> the, the, the word of God offends me all the time, and I just learned to live with it and be like, okay, I'm wrong, you're right. Let's go with this. But Jesus, today, today, right now, his glory is here. It is yours. We have transferred from death to life. And you are transmitting not something deadly. You're transmitting something holy that brings life everywhere you go. So, in your hearts and in your minds, let's cast off that flesh. Let's cast off that old way of thinking. There are some new wineskins available to you this morning. So let's just let the veil be torn. Let the truth be revealed and jump into his glorious day.